Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Best Ball Bros by Spike Week, where you get a chance to get to know some of your favorite fantasy football, maybe other fantasy sports, best ball analysts a little bit better every single Wednesday afternoon. Today, we are bringing in football outsiders, guru, and uh, the better half of the Splash Play show that you all, I'm sure, know, Chris Spaggs. We're going to get to know Spaggs a little bit more. We were just talking before the show. Uh, he's going to give some of you guys some baby tips. We're going to get some fantasy football tips. We're going to figure out why the hell he's still drafting Drew Locke in fantasy football. And, uh, you know, maybe some non-best some non ball and non-fantasy football-related stuff. But uh, let's go ahead and do it. <sighs> Welcome to another episode of Best Ball Bros. Give me your click, but you don't have to listen. Oh, you had Gabriel Davis at 67%. Oh, sweetie, that's so hot. Can I curse on the show? Absolutely. I was so fucking bad. How can I lose? And the answer was by starting Allen Robinson over Jamar Chase. <laughs> well, last year, kind of attached myself to Trey Sermon, which hasn't worked out too well. Bill, if you ever listen to this, I love you. He's just such a boomer now that it's painful. Mm-hmm. I did think I was going to play in the NBA uh, when I was like six. I'm going to tell Evan Silva their boy. Went to the bathroom and just like told Evan, hey, man, this is the top 15. People yeah. love the life ass. <laughs> All right, Spags. The question that we kick everybody off with, if you haven't seen before, is the worst fantasy take you have ever you have ever had in your life. Could be absolutely anything. You're you're touting it or you're playing it in DFS or you're drafting it in best ball, maybe outside of Drew Locke. Well, we don't need to we don't need to do any more Drew Locke content. I mean, good. I'm glad you said no, Drew Locke, because we can all agree that's the best take that I've had probably. It's going to prove itself for the next few months. But I, there was a while when I was at Osmo, of course, now Stochastic. So we got to make sure. Stochastic, I right. It's, it's tough, tough branding. Um, but I remember, you know, one time back then where I was touting Marvin Hall, that series where he was at like 3K and was the only Browns receiver left. And I was like, <laughs> Marvin Hall has got to be the guy. Like he's had some great per snap numbers. And then 
turned out that the per snap numbers, Eric, they don't really matter very much when you're actually not good and you start to play more snaps. So kind of think you have to learn as a DFS analyst. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I feel like most people's are always that like in that essence of Marvin Hall or some comp- like a lot like there might be people listening to this don't even know who Marvin Hall is. It's always that thing where it was like, yeah, this DFS guy like, oh, look at this. He's going to play more snaps this week. And oh, my God, he's been so good only playing like 25 snaps or whatever. And the guy, it, there's a reason why he was only playing. So we find that out that week. Why did that guy stink and not play very much? Well, because he's actually not good at football. So uh, we probably should not have a or he just our ran wagon. That. That I think that's the one cover you always had. Is like, well, if you know, he played True. five more games, like it would have leveled out. He probably had a couple hundred yard days. And, and that's the, the ballad of me and Marvin Hall together, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. On a positive note. Um, I remember from this past, uh, was it Thanksgiving? Was it the Thanksgiving, uh, little shit show that we had together on, uh, on ship chasing or Pete's channel or whatever it was where you were, you were absolutely touting the shit out of Josh Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and that was working out and my, my ship chasing takes run parallel. Like I'll go on there. We'll do those streams. I, the ones that I get invited on are the ones where there's like 20 people on. So it ends up being a four hour <laughs> show. And over the course of four hours, I'll get one thing, right? But then for some reason, that one thing will always really resonate. So yeah, Josh Reynolds was the big one, had the be- best game of his career, perhaps, I guess, uh, besides that one Rams chiefs game uh, he had last year during Thanksgiving for the lions. So it felt good, but you just got to leave him something memorable, one memorable thing from each show. And then the rest of it could be pure mediocrity is always the hope. That's 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 the kind of tout 101. You you have your Marvin Halls, and when people say like you know this idiot was touting Marvin Hall, we just ran bad. That's variance. Marvin yeah. Hall was variance. Come back for the Josh Reynolds. That's not ver- Josh Reynolds. It was that was always going to happen. No oh yeah, matter I mean, that, what that, a floor that touchdown play, time and time again is Josh Reynolds. <laughs> that's what we all say about. Him. <laughs> So if you actually go back and watch the tape, you probably even like diagram the X's and O's of the route and the 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 scheme and everything that he was going to score on. And that that's 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 the touting one hundred and one. As we hitch our like uh, everyone needs to forget the fact that I was on Trey Lance and Darrington Evans and all the and Laviska and those guys last year. Let's just like, but remember Debo. We brought you oh, yeah. Debo. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean the De- uh, Debo wishes the Niners would remember Debo more. So I think <laughs> everybody probably feels that way. So. um I actually want to, we usually kind of get into this a, a little bit later, but I wanted to k- kind of kick off with this because you and I just don't know each other quite, quite as well. I haven't done quite as much content with you, so it's my fucking show. So I'm going to do what I want. And how, how did you get, you know, so I first got um, exposure to you through Awesomeo because I know some of the guys at Awesomeo. Um, I don't think I knew Alex at the time when you were working there, but like I know Ad, I know Adam really well. And I know a lot of the awesome O guys, that was the first time I got exposure to you. And then obviously, you know, doing content with Pete, I know Pete quite well. How did you get into the like kind of fantasy football space and everything? So for me, um, you know, a lot of it was always a passion of mine. And it's weird because like I worked at Barstool before I was at Osmo and then I took some time off, consulted for some people and was pitching a TV show based on that, that very unique work experience of, of working there. I um, ended up then finding Osmo because they were looking, they were watching the site, we're looking for somebody with some content expertise. So I was lucky mm-hmm. to help kind of develop some of the strategies that they, you know, are still using to this day, even though they are now completely differently named company. Um, you know, like the live before lock shows, figuring out like what are the touch points for DFS players and all of that. So my yeah. background is more, you know, like I 
I've done more of the mainstream kinds of content, I guess, at Barcelona in particular. And I never wrote about DFS. Like I never wrote about fantasy, even though I was playing it all the time. I would talk with one of the other editors there, uh, Kay Marco, about my NBA DFS plays, had like one 5K win and was like, I probably should pay more attention to this. Then got completely destroyed in the time <laughs> in between working from Osmo and also leaving Barstool. And then went to Osmo, learned the principles, learned how I was doing some stuff wrong. Like I was looking at like DRE is a stat that I think actually Roto Grinders used to have on their site for a while. Uh -huh. Just things that didn't matter. And I, I learned like, oh, here's what actually matters. Here's what being a profitable player looks like, according to these guys who've, you know, won millions and, and legit millions. Um, so it's been helpful to me just to be, you know, always surround myself by people that I think are the best at what they're doing. And now yeah. it's guys like you on Spike Week, you know, best ball in general, being on shows with Pete has taught me so much, even though we do air more on the comedy side. But I think that's, you know, obviously as a content creator, I'm lucky to be able to get into these rooms with people because of my you know, background and the fact that I hopefully make okay shows. But I think for anybody out there too, it's like if you just watch these shows enough and you just spend time kind of hearing how people think, you're going to get better at it just kind of through osmosis. Well, I think I think you hit on a really good thing kind of at the at the end there where uh, not that the rest of it wasn't good. The rest of it was uh, at the <laughs> was most interesting, the most interesting part. But there is a a, a very difficult line to toe in fantasy sports that I think is probably the most like um, most underrepresented portion of our content. And it is both being able to be entertaining and be informative at the same time. And it's hard. I mean, I don't think I'm the most entertaining person, nor do I think I'm the, the most in informative, but you're trying to like, and I know Pete talks about this and you guys definitely do this both um, as, as a tag team on your shows. And anytime I've ever seen you or talked to you, this is um, how I envision you is, is that like, you're, I'm not an expert, but you're getting, you're getting to experience all of this with me. We're going to figure this out together. I'm going to give you my thoughts and opinions. You can agree or disagree. We might talk it through. We might fit right. I, I might stand by something, right? Uh, the, the Drew Lock thing is funny or whatever. And that's part of the part of the entertainment factor. But you're, you're kind of, we're all figuring this out together and you have to have a certain, but you have to have a certain level of knowledge and information to bring to the table, but you also have to have a certain level of ability to entertain people. And I would say that there's actually a lot of people like, you know, there, how many people want to be work in fantasy football, like a lot, right? Mm. There's plenty of those people that are informative. It's, it's actually the entertainment part. That's the most, diff I know a lot of the, the sharpest people, you know, probably around that like, man, they put on a podcast. I want to hear what they have to say, but I'm not sure if I can make it all the way through because I, you know, it's just not very entertaining. Well, it's like the, the viral clip that Pete had a while ago of like the fantasy football guys intro. And it's like this hard rap music. That, <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hope you guys are ready to talk about some targets today. And that's like that does sum it up pretty well. But, you know, like I've always thought as somebody who's worked in content, you know, professionally, even before fantasy stuff, like, yeah, I've spent a lot of time studying it and trying to get good at it and just kind of, you know, identifying key themes and all of that. And I, here we go. My pal, Eric, of course, who's crushing it over at Stochastic every day. Now, I watch every Stochastic stream if it's got Eric Lindquist on it. Um, but no, like I think it's an important part to be either, you know, two of the three things, entertainment. Uh, entertaining ideally i think is what i try to aspire to or informative or likable and if you have two of those three things you're fine and i think that's one thing you and coakley have where it's like you know coakley is very entertaining he's also very informative as well you're very informative you're very likable i think you're more entertaining to give yourself credit for but i think <laughs> if you have two out of those three things like you're gonna resonate better and i think you know it, it bums me out like i love the streams that we do i love the ship chasing guys i love you know mm -hmm. our our universe, our extended universe of friends that are doing this kind of content, there's some out there that are getting crazy views and it's like, oh man, like you don't know anything and I just don't get why this is crushing. And that's the part that can be tough. And I'm not going to you know, sell anybody down the river, but I think we know some of the ones out there and just, we go to that yep. channel. It's like, how is this getting 7K views? Like what is going on? Here? <laughs>
I know. And, and that is also the hard part of, you know, fantasy football is not necessarily niche, but fantasy football is, is such a crazy vertical now that there are a lot of niches like best ball that have kind of kind of populated from, from within there. And to, to your exact point, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that we're in this weird, like uh, revolutionary phrase, uh, phase almost of, of fantasy football, where we might see some of that flip. It used to be just like the football bros, right? That was, it was almost like, you know, the like ex football players that would just get on and talk about like, this guy is good at football. This guy's bad at football. So draft him. Right. And there was no strategy. There was no, now we're getting into this era or we started to get into this era of people coming from DFS, right? You came from a DFS website. I came from a DFS website. Pete was doing DFS streams. I know he's been doing the season long thing, but he got into, he got into DFS. Mike Leone and the ETR guys are clearly like DFS experts. And so people are bringing a very different skill set to the game. And then now we're starting to pile on. You're seeing people, there's streams every day, dude. You want to watch a best ball? You want to watch a best ball draft every day of your life? You can do it now. Like it, it's possible. There was a, I think it was, uh, we've been joking. I think it was like last Thursday, Liam, Chet Liam, who won best ball mania last year, did a, like a, uh, uh, marathon stream. And then we had a show. I think you guys had a show and like, uh, Herzig had a show on each. There was like 12 draft streams or something like that within like eight hours. And like, that just didn't exist before. So we're in this kind of, everybody's figuring it out. And I think, to your point, we're going to get to a, a spot where maybe some of those dynamics are going to change in terms of like, you know, the people that are just like hacking the algo, you know, to get views. It may not those may not be the winners long term. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Like, I think that's one thing for me where like I love sports betting. Like I love DFS. I now like have grown to love best ball and learned so much about, you know, just how to approach that in a smart way instead of just doing it for fun. Like I think you can do it both ways. Like it should be fun anyway. But to me, structural drafting now has made it a lot more fun because I feel like the teams I have have real upside, even if I am thinking about it differently. And that's something to me that I think is important where, you know, like there are some streams out there where I'll watch them just because they pop up in the algorithm and I'm trying to do the best I can with Pete. Like Pete's really drilled into me, YouTube optimization and the importance of that. And I would yeah. say the same thing to any content creator out there. At the same time, though, like I think you got to have some bona fides. Like I've won money playing DFS. Like I won, you know, this house is partially paid for by NBA DFS winnings. I know buying for you've had a lot of success too. Like I like to, you know, follow people that not that you have to be the biggest winner in the world. You don't have to be Alex or or you know the big T's or whatever people you want to hold up as these your really big winners. But you just kind of have to know like how that works and have had some proof of concept, I think, and then hopefully apply those principles and you know combine it with the entertaining, informative parts and all of that. But I think. You know, if you're following people and they're just talk, telling you, hey, spam running backs early on or like you know, the counselor kind of content, it's like I just hope people don't take that advice too seriously or at least balance it out with some of the other people out there who are really doing you know smart data science approaching things. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's just a, a bar. Like you said, I, I don't I don't I don't even know how to define like who the best best ball players are. I don't think we're probably years, many years away from even under understanding that. But to your point, I think. You can apply. It, it could be. It could be poker. It could be sports betting. It could be. You have some form of a, a baseline of knowledge and success in a general area, right? My same, same same thing for me. Like the house that people are looking at behind your screen, and the house that people are looking at behind my screen. It was D. It, it was. It was. It was DFS. Like that's where that's 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 where it came from. And I'm not. I'm in nowhere near any of the the best players in the world but i've been able to to you know there's still enough money to go around for all of us to make a little a little bit of cash and and i do think there's something to to that and having skin in the game right like the the people that are you know doing best ball streams and not even drafting is like oh, yeah. you know crazy crazy to me 
I mean, look, I've done shows, you know, and I'll, I'll give him a shout out for Fast Study Fear, who's a guy who's you know, been a staple in the DFS world for probably a yep. decade now, like before most of us even were doing a, a single stream on camera. But he wasn't playing for a while, and I do think that can be tough when you are doing content and you're not playing. And I think you know, he's smart enough to stay ahead of that curve. But for me, the best value I had to get better you know, drafting in basketball teams was drafting an ungodly amount of puppy teams and just seeing how yeah. the room would react in different situations when the room went completely insane. Like, how do I respond to that? How do other people respond to that? And I think that's the kind of thing that building up that callus is really the best practice you can get for yourself. So I'm a believer, you know, like you can teach, you don't have to always be able to do, but I do yep. think a lot of times the best way to learn is like jamming DFS slates every day for a year. Like you're going to get better at NBA DFS as long as you just don't go broke in that process. Yeah, exactly. And which is another skill in and of itself, not going broke, you know, um, <laughs> being able to weather, being able to weather the storm. So how getting into the, the best ball aspects of aspect of things, how 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 did last year go go for you? Was that kind of like the first time you really spammed some of these contests, or like how like how was last year? And then um, piggybacking that question, how, how like how much do you think you've like learned from last year and on and on into this year? Because I can almost sense I'll spoil it, I guess, a little bit like a, a different level of kind of confidence and knowledge in you in the conversations on 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 stream this year than I felt like I saw last year. No, I think that's completely fair. And I think, you know, that's, I do try to be honest about that. Like last year, I didn't do that well in best ball because I just didn't take some of the strategy seriously. Like the things that the lineups I had that bubbled up the best were ones where I did, you know, stack appropriately. Like my Stafford Cooper cups lineups were the ones that were good. I had a few mm -hmm. of those with um, Alex Madison and that got me through to the playoff rounds, but I certainly wasn't correlating for week 17. I certainly wasn't stacking to the gills time and time again. I had too much Ryan Fitzpatrick. I was taking guys ahead of ADP. Oh. Like I was making a lot of mistakes that like people will make this summer. And I think that's where I hopefully add some value of my perspective is that, A, I'm trying to take the best data I can, the best knowledge I can, uh, soak up everything possible. I'm doing as many drafts as possible as I can to get a read on rooms and know how to kind of give that strategic advice as well. But it's also like, you know, when you have that first summer and you're like, man, how is everybody having success and I'm not? You kind of have to look at yourself and go, I'm wrong. Like, I did this wrong. And I think that's something that people have a really hard time with with fantasy football. And I know that from the NFL DFS shows where it's like player takes time and time again. And it's like, you can have player takes, but they should inform the ADP process. They should inform your structural drafting. Um, they should inform you taking guys when they fall to you more. Like that's the stuff that I think is important. And that to me is a big part of where like, it's weird. Like I got booked on like a CBS fantasy football show and they like asked me to come on and be their explainer. And it's like, for me, I'm, I just want to get in front of it and be like, guys, don't do this. And you'll have a much better shot at winning because I think basketball just hasn't been figured out in the way that DFS has or, or sports betting has the same thing. So what about, um, this year, how are you feeling coming in, coming into to this year? Like what, what you kind of mentioned some of like the mistakes that you made, but what do you think the, the things that maybe you're doing differently this year or, not even necessarily like the mistakes that you made last year. What are kind of like the, your kind of core principles, right? You mentioned, um, and it really hit home with me. You were like, you know, if they want me to come on CBS, I'm just like, just do this or don't do this. And like, you're going to be good. And like, that's kind of actually my approach. Like I fucking stream five days a week and talk about this thing. But actually in general, I'm really just like, dude, keep it simple. Like, I got a list of a few things that I've determined are my priorities. And I'm pretty much just sticking to that and not worrying about, other stuff so what kind of is that you know if you had to have a list like that what is that for you 
So I've actually been trying to do this more because I've been doing the solo splash play streams on Friday because, you know, Pete, Pete uh, Overset, he's not working Fridays in the summer. We know that for a fact. If he does <laughs> one, big, it's that Royal Rumble big stream where he's yeah. hammered he's big time. about yeah. hanging out with Evan Silva. He's on a bender for four days. Who knows? <laughs> but um, either way, so I'm doing the solo streams and I try to like kind of break down the strategy I'm using time and again. And a lot of it's informed, you know, stuff I know that you guys talk about, stuff that I talk about with Pete. Rotoviz, I'll always give the shout out to. I think they do a great job. I know your guys' tools are launching and like that's going to be something that's really informative as well, just how to how to use that stuff and how to deploy it to be smarter about your lineups. But to me, you know, I try to find the underlying themes from all these different structures that are there. And to me, elite tight end always comes up. The ideal QB zone of drafting that first QB round six through nine, trying to draft QB two rounds eight through 13, um, trying to double stack if I can, probably not do much more than that. But, you know, sometimes obviously if it falls to you, if Tyler Boyd falls to you and you have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T Higgins, like who's going to be mad at that? Um, the week 17 correlations too, like that's the other big part of it. So like the elite tight end, the QB zone, and then you know the week seventeen part would be the big three. But I just love zero RB builds too. Like I get a rush out of them. Like I am very like <laughs> it might people might think it's a gimmick because I just really I, I will browbeat Pete about it because he used to do this all the time and now he's like oh I don't know you can do hyper fragile here and there. <laughs> I think you should do a zero RB every time because the win rates are so strong for a, a format people just don't want to take because they're afraid. It, well, I, I love uh, that you mentioned that. Because people people get triggered about it, about zero RB and, and what you just outlined. And I think they get triggered about it solely because it's zero RB. If everyone was doing zero RB, but we can't, right? So like maybe the, the market overcorrected. So the market saw what you saw, which is factual. The win rates are amazing. The upside is amazing. I mean, Pete and I specifically ourselves had a team that finished ninth and eighth or ninth in, in best ball mania. Uh, last year that was like super, super live to win a million dollars with it. It was a zero RB team. Our first running back was actually Raheem Mostert who played like, you know, uh, three snaps and never played again for the rest of the season. But when you just happen to hit the right combo of all those guys, because those guys are going to exit. James Conner is going to happen again. I don't know who the hell it's going to be, but he's going to happen again. Right. Alexander Madison also was on that team. Sony, Michelle, blah, 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 Rashad Penny. Those guys are going to, to exist. But like if we had if we had come from the same place of, you know, we all started playing fantasy football a long time ago and the running back like we were all just you just had to take running like no one left the draft without running backs in the first few rounds. Right. If we didn't come from there and that stayed the same, if like maybe we course corrected to like, oh, my God, now everybody's doing zero RB. I'd be like, well, nobody's doing this robust running back mm-hmm. thing. Let's just let's just take the three early and maybe it toss on another one late because nobody's doing this. And it also has great upside and strong win rates right it's just about us manipulating this game but people can't because it's the running it's the position that people can't get their head or head around so i'm, I'm doing fairly similar similar to you um do you have any other kind of thoughts around that like from a strategy perspective yeah, I mean, I think it is one of those things that to me, you know, it was always a weakness of mine in DFS where like if I'm playing NBA DFS and even NBA best ball last year, I actually had ran much better in NBA best ball than NFL because I just know the sport inside it out and I can kind of get a read for, you know, the guys who are good fantasy per minute guys and who's going to take a jump because of this guy moving to another team or whatever. Yeah. And that's something that I think, you know, with NFL that people 
people have a lot of biases with that part coming in. And I think, you know, NFL in particular, like you see it in the millionaire maker, uh, sometimes winning teams, but just the teams, if you go through all the casuals out there and you know, the way they're kind of informing that process. And for me, zero RB, the fun part of it is that you're completely agnostic if you're doing it the right way. And you're also leveraging, you're doing a, a classic DFS move of leveraging against other people's failures. So like my Alex Madison lineups last year in NFL were really strong because Dalvin cook was out a few games. And then those led to spike weeks that, uh, you know, no pun intended that led to, uh, you know, these situations where Madison ended up being a really valuable player for me and that's something where you know hemorrhage you know leveraging uh, leveraging oh god uh, hemorrhaging money i guess would be the way that i would go as i talk right now but leveraging against the field <laughs> and just knowing like hey if people are going to come in with this approach and treat christian mccaffrey like he is gold or or taylor like he's gold what if Naheem Hines just gets more pass game work? Like what if, you know, Taylor sees eight man boxes over and over again? What if McCaffrey gets hurt again because he wants to be an influencer more than he wants to be a football player based on everything we've seen <laughs> the last few years? Um, you know, like that's the kind of thing to me that people just aren't comfortable with because they view these outcomes as like, oh, it's got a 70% chance of happening. They treat it like 100%, but it's not yes. 100%. And especially in NFL, like NBA closer to 100%, but in NFL, it's like probably closer to 50, 30 maybe. That's I love that. That is that is so true. Two different things that you mentioned that are just so spot on and probably the things of um, both zero running back here, running back, lots of strategies, lots of not even just like structural strategies, draft strategies that people don't emphasize enough. I don't even emphasize them enough. Um, I probably will after this now because it's going to stick in my head that, that that you said it. But the the last thing was like people treat likely scenarios like certain scenarios mm -hmm. right uh x player whatever jonathan taylor it's a very likely scenario that he's awesome again this year right he's probably i don't know we're just gonna throw a random totally random number i'm not an injury expert he's 15 percent to get hurt and 10 percent to like have a down year right matt ryan gets hurt or something like that Okay, so 75% he's going to crush again, basically. It's just a random bullshit math. Well, people treat that like 98%. Mm -hmm. But 25% of the time, which is a lot in the NFL season, is a disaster for him. And at only one position, one and only one position that we get to draft, is there a person who gets catapulted way up in their value when the, their teammate fails? And at basically every other position, right? People screw this up too. When Devontae Adams get hurt, gets hurt for the Packers, yes, it's a, like a little bit of a boost for Aaron Jones and Alan Lazard or whatever. But you know what really happens? The offense sucks. <laughs> when you take out Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, the, the offense is just bad. So yeah, you're getting a couple more targets, but you're, the, you're not going to get as many touchdowns from your offense. But the running back position is not that way. It's a little bit like that for JT, McCaffrey, whatever, Derrick Henry. But, not, I mean, we even saw that the Titans didn't – it wasn't that different even yeah. without without Derrick Henry. And there's a, a benefactor to that, right? So, like you said, you can leverage against your opponents simply through a structure of the way that, the way that you draft and get outsized returns on, like, fairly light – on a 25 30% thing happening. It's like yeah. – I'm getting crazy gains, you know, massive, massive gains on these 13th round picks and the wide receiver you took there. Sorry to tell you, Devonte Parker ain't nothing ever happening for Devonte Parker. That is going to like turn him into a fantasy superstar. Right. But Alexander Madison, 
one 25% chance thing happens and Alexander Madison is an absolute smash. Especially when you're drafting now too. Like that's to me is one of the advantages of doing that barbell draft where you're drafting earlier and before the information's out there. But I think even, you know, Devin's chat, he just pulled up on the screen. Like if you draft Naheem Hines, like I'm drafting a lot of Naheem Hines, but you could also draft Philip Lindsay. Like if you really want to draft Tyson Williams, you could draft him too. Like there's still a way that people who think, oh, Taylor's going to you know go wrong, that they're still wrong too. And that's the thing that I think yeah. is where the DFS part of it starts to pay off. Like, you know, I had my biggest DFS when I think Pecan Pecan is in the, the chat earlier and we had three-wayed that one, uh, but it went like we all had Jason Tatum at 3% ownership. So the 3% ownership play is probably going to Philip Lindsay. Like I think Naheem Hines, there are no surprises there as ADPs come up, but that's sort of where I think there are, you know, there is some galaxy braining you can talk yourselves into and it is important to have, you have the most Jonathan Taylor, but then you have some Naheem Hines and you have some, you know, Lindsay or Tyson Williams or, or just more of the pass game. Like you'd have double sacks with Matt Ryan yeah. and maybe they just pass more. And then you see, you know, a really big upside for Pittman and Alec Pierce. Like that's something that can happen too. And I think just treating these things like they're not binary events and drafting like you're right. Each individual draft, I think is probably the most important thing people can do. I love that. I love um, the drafting like you're right um, is a, is a, some, so that was something I really dug into last year, which led me to a, a specific example of exactly what you just said. That's like one of my favorite things, which really becomes like a scenario you're, you're drafting for scenarios it's you know what what uh our, our friend sean siegel would say at wrote of is it, we're scenario based drafting people love to talk about like value-based drafting which became a thing like i don't know when we were in like high school or something like there's probably somebody probably wrote about right like uh, if someone falls 14 picks after adp you just take them no matter what because the value is too good or whatever mm -hmm. which isn't really true because the, the the season plays out in scenarios. The season doesn't play out in, oh, this 12th round pick paid off an 11th round cost, whatever the hell that means. That's not like really how you win, certainly not in best ball, but not even in like your, your home league. You win when a scenario plays out. And your example is the perfect one, right? I, I was building around it for Derrick Henry. So I didn't draft Derrick Henry last year. I wasn't drafting him, but I was leveraging that to say, okay, well, what happens if he gets hurt? They pass more. It's not just they're not just going to get so Dar the Darrington Evans thing became a, a little bit of a bit for me, of course, similar to your your Drew Lock thing. It just becomes a little bit of of your of your You're brand. Which is, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm DMing his manager. I'm DMing Darrington's manager. Like, would he like to like because he's a streamer. He streams Madden and stuff and Call of Duty. And so I'm like, uh, and it's so sad that I know that that it's like very sad. <laughs> Uh, me and one of my buddies, he, he, my buddy is messaging me uh, last year during the off season. Like you watching Darrington stream, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not watching the third string running back for the Tennessee Titans uh, stream Madden or whatever with his like 14 Twitch followers. But uh, so, but the, the theme was Darrington Evans is the backup to, to Derrick Henry. I think everyone agreed with that, but what happens then if Derrick Henry gets hurt, obviously, that's good for Darrington, right? We're using the same math we used before. That 25% scenario plays out. Darrington is, is a smash in the 17th round, but they're not gonna, just going to give him 30 carries like they do Derrick Henry. They're going to throw it a little bit more. So that's A.J. Brown. That's Julio Jones. That It was Anthony Ferkser. You know, so it didn't work out very well, but the, the thesis was exactly like, what happens if Jonathan Taylor goes down? Not They're not going to use Naheem Hines like they use Jonathan Taylor. So... Then you can you can you can correlate that way within your teams too for a certain scenario, and so there's just so many fun ways to do different strategies like you just talked about. 
Yeah, no, I fully agree on. And this year, I would say Hassan Haskins, the new Darrington Evans, based on what you're saying there. But, yeah. but the difference is Hassan Haskins really crushes it on bench press. So that's basically a one-to-one <laughs> Derrick Henry replacement there. But I agree with you. Like, that's ultimately, you know what teams want to do. And if they have a guy, like, I think the rookies this year, and it might be, you know, the bias of really, you know, drilling rookies early on. Like, Pete and I were doing rookie sophomore drafts of Football Outsiders. We did a really big deep dive on our, you know, pre-draft analysis here, sending guys to the Combine, sending guys to the Senior Bowl to give on, you know, boots on the ground kind of takes about it. But ultimately like I love the rookie running backs this year. I think they are a lot of them are in fantastic spots. Like even Zamir White goes in the 18th round, like Hassan yep. Haskins. Like these are the guys to me that if it became, you know, July 21st and then uh, Josh Jacobs got another DUI or, or hurt his knee or whatever, like Zamir White's probably going in the second round, like the third round. Like he might, you know, maybe not, maybe a little lofty, but his ADP is going to soar. And if you're yep. drafting right now and you make that bet on Zamir White, just, you know, a fractional amount of the time, it's going to be the equivalent of a Darrell Henderson if just one of those things breaks his way. The other fun thing, the the Daryl Henderson is a is a very was very much a strict like Alexander Madison, uh, maybe old Tony Pollard example where like it's just strictly a handcuff. This guy is almost never going to play, you know. Like at the the Vikings did a funny thing where the third series of each half was out. That's when Dalvin took a break, but that was the only snap. You know, he never came out of the game other than than that. So. Madison was strictly a handcuff. He's never really going to be fantasy value uh, valuable unless Dalvin gets hurt. The job, like we have, a, but that's not even really like those don't exist really any, <laughs> anymore. Like it's all committee backfields. And even if they're not committees, the Josh Jacobs thing is, is a really good example where, yeah, we're expecting Josh Jacobs to get, you know, the majority of the work. Maybe Kenyon Drake mixes in on passing downs. Maybe Jacobs plays passing downs, but Zamir White mixes in on early downs. We don't, but we, the point is we don't know. And they didn't exercise Josh Jacobs fifth year option. And they drafted Zamir, Zamir White with like reasonable draft draft capital. It's like, I don't know what's, what are the odds that Zamir White is just like kind of the lead. And Josh Jacobs is like the James White or whatever. Like I it's, it's, it's possible, but we're not drafting again. We're drafting with what we project to be as a certainty. We're not projecting, you know, we're not drafting with any form of kind of like humbleness actually to our projection. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I think that's something that the humility part of it of just acknowledging that, hey, I might be wrong. Like I could take a lot of Josh Jacobs. I take a lot of Tyler Algier this summer just because he kind of lines up ADP wise in a spot yep. that works well with zero RB. But like it's possible that Tyler Algier, like they sign somebody else who supplants him. Um, it's possible that Cordero Patterson is kind of luck box is one of those years or just the Falcons are bad, like betting on bad teams. <laughs> you're always going to have some inherent risk of that part of things. But it just makes sense to me that he's a guy who you know has that player profile or workload you could point to. You see the same things for Brees Hall, same thing for Ken Walker, guys who profile to uh, Jonathan Taylor and Ladania Thomason, respectively, like in terms of what they did in college and their college dominator stats. Like those are guys that I think are really interesting to me. And if you are drafting ego lists, like I have a ton of Josh Jacobs, I have a ton of that Week 17 Niners Raiders game. But yeah. I also going to get some Zamir White just in case things work out that way. And then that's the one way I got different was like, oh, I took Zamir White in the 18th instead of Josh Jacobs in the fifth. Like that could be tremendously valuable by the time week 17 comes along is that a big part of your strategy not necessarily the week 17 thing but um you know you kind of mentioned that you're going in largely with a zero running back um you know profile portfolio is your is, is your plan and then are you from there right i'm going in I'm, I'm like part of my strategy is this belief in in this zero running back thing right you you have to go in with the strategy it always pisses me off when people come in and they're like i'm just gonna win with these player takes we all have player takes you like players 
I like players. We all have differing player takes, but I want to set a strategy first. And you've kind of outlined the, the zero running back thing, which we are, are mostly on the same team about. But then are you kind of trying to get certain combinations of players? Are you then looking to get combinations of week 17 games? How are you kind of then piggybacking off of that zero running back thing? Like kind of making sure you have all the right types of players within your zero RB builds or what's kind of the stepping stone after that? It's a lot of ADP based things for me. Like I end up with a lot of Rashad Penny and, and there's been some positive reports and NBC sports edge had, you know, he's basically running with the first team. Ken Walker's not mm-hmm. going to take over that spot yet, but I just didn't think that Ken Walker should be going, you know, in the eighties while Penny was going in the one twenties, one thirties, very weird. even lower. Like James Robinson too. Like I love Travis Etienne. Now Etienne's going the third round. James Robinson falls to the 200 spot sometimes on underdog. And that's the kind of thing to me where, yeah, like it could be very likely. Like I think Etienne's good. I'd like that he's running some slot routes. Like he's probably going to get the pass game work, even though it matters a little bit less than the half point PPR and underdog. But it's still a spot that like, you know, I like Etienne, but that doesn't mean it's not a wise move to take James Robinson and zero RB builds just because of the fact that he's now really good leverage against the guy who people are betting on a lot when there isn't even really concrete reason to go like, oh, Travis <laughs> no. Etienne should now be a third round back. He's good. They wasted good draft capital on him, but ultimately he could easily be in a timeshare or could just be the third down back and it wouldn't be too surprising. And that's the kind of thing to me that I think, you know, is important to keep in mind here is that obviously as the news comes out and you actually know for sure that these guys are going to have value, then certainly try to gravitate more that way, especially if it's reliable news. Like an athletic report, I think is worth gold at this point because you see the ADPs start to come when an MVS gets a profile and you see quotes from Mahomes and all of that. <sighs> Like that has more esteem to me than just, you know, fantasy footballers like you're not going to believe who I think is bad this year. Like <laughs> on a 23, a 20 tweet thread. It's like, no, man, like I think I'm going to trust the guys who are at minicamp right now. Oh, plenty of thoughts on the threads, but we uh, we would waste the entire rest of the show uh, <laughs> talking about the fantasy football threads. But it is funny. <clears throat> the ETN thing is so such a good point because I. For, for two reasons. One, he absolutely was a guy who is just getting steamed because he fits the mold of what our community, th- this new best ball community that we've, we've cultivated. That's what we like. Young, t- super talented, first round pick, really no competition, right? Because if James Robinson hadn't gotten hurt last year, maybe it would be a little bit different, but really no competition. He seems to be healthy. He's, he was practicing already. Um, you know, at, at mini camp. And so it was just like, well, why is this guy going in the fifth, sixth round? And so, but we go overboard. We always go, we always go overboard, right? Now he's an early third round pick. It's like, oh, buddy. Okay. Now we're taking him before Cam Akers and before all these, you know, all these other guys. And like, I mean, I like Travis Etienne fine, but we, we, we take it too far. And then, like you said, whether it's James Robinson, Tony pointed out in the snap in the, in the, uh, in the chat, like there's Snoop Connor, like you mentioned, Philip Lindsay, it's like, I, they drafted Snoop Connor and it, maybe he's the, the grinder, right? Maybe ETN is Alvin Kamara and Snoop Connor until James Robinson comes back is, is uh, Mark Ingram or, or Latavius Murray or whatever. Like we, we, again, we're just, we, we don't draft uh, with, with much uh, humbleness on, on a lot of these, these situations in ETN was a uh, a really good one and to your exact point it was strictly like player takes steam it's one thing when patrick mahomes comes out and says uh yeah dumb shits like mvs this dude uh i'm gonna throw it to him a lot right or last year we got this with mike williams this is what that's what happened with mike williams and guess what happened mike williams crushed you know the, the coach came out and said uh and the beat reporters in the athletic were like uh this guy's like 
playing the Mike Thomas role, like the coach is like, uh, yeah, we're going to throw it to him a lot. And they threw it to him a lot. Right. But that's not what happened with Travis Etienne. It's just like we got on ship chasing. We're like, oh, we like Travis Etienne or and somebody tweeted about him or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I see John in the chat, too, pointing out that Robinson's such a different case. Achilles in week 16. Yeah, like I think that's something like that's fair. But the point is that that's now baked into the ADP more than enough. And I think that's something that people just yeah. miss do where the market's telling you like what this should be priced at. So. I just think uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make. And it's something with sports betting too, that hasn't been fully realized at the end of the day. Like you cut out the sports books cut, like you go to a no vig calculator. That's the true probability of any event at any given time. And that's something that people just like, you know, miss entirely. It doesn't mean that you're not right. It doesn't mean that ATN is not going to be good more often than Robinson is, but it still means there's enough of a time. Like you were talking about earlier, Eric, that's just like, it's a bigger chance that people realize. And if you don't treat that chance, like the chance it is like Drew Locke's a 5% chance to be a good QB 5%. But, and I think that's a fair <laughs> outlook on it and maybe it's even a little bit higher but people treat them like it's zero percent it's like yep. at that point there probably is value and really loving that five percent just because of the fact that people think there's no world at all where you could ever be a good quarterback yeah that is that is definitely true people actually oddly enough very weird pivot from last year that uh the rookie quarterbacks we've we're treating them like they stink and i mean they probably do stink but we're treating them like they stink and they may not even play this year and it's like, I don't know, Kenny Pickett went in the first round and he has Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, you know, Calvin Austin, Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm personally guilty myself of not taking him very much, but it's like last year, Trey Lance got steamed up to the seventh round and we were taking Justin Fields and we were taking Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and blah, blah, Mac Jones. Now the one guy with at least as good of weapons as all those got better, better weapons than everybody except Lance, I guess, who we didn't even know was going to play. And I guess we don't know if Pickett's going to play, but what's the difference? And he goes in the 18, he goes in the same thing. We're treating him just like a, we're throwing him to the, to the garbage. Um, and there's just so many scenarios like that. Pickett, we talked about the Jaguars. We talked about the Colts, all that kind of stuff where the market treats every, and, and, and to a certain extent, it has to treat things in a, a binary fashion, right? The ADP has to be uh, what it is, but I don't think, um, drafters generally like over the course of the entire summer will like kind of even things out maybe to the extent that, that they should on these things. Like we should take some more James Robinson or Kenny Pickett or not, Na- Naheem Hines. We've maybe started to even it out a little bit more, but like over the, the but then you move on. It's like, okay, government, the market finally started to shift on Naheem Hines and get it right now. But there's, that means there's probably somebody else that it's getting it wrong on. Right. And just like that evolving process. Yeah, I mean, and there are things you see right now, too, out there with like Raheem Mostert, where people were drafting him pretty highly. And I certainly got, you know, him on the higher end of his ADP. And that's not the best thing in the world, but it's still like he shouldn't go undrafted in some drafts. Like I've seen a few times just because Sony Michelle's there. Like what materially changed? It was still a dice roll that he could be the lead back. Like Chase Edmonds is still there, signed a bigger contract, a guy who can get pass game work and also be useful in running, you know, running downs as well. But it's still something that, you know, like you kind of have to not like it really has come down to being egoless about it all. I think that's really probably the key theme here of that. Assuming you know better is always going to be a mistake, but also just not adapting and realizing that that's because Raheem Mostert, you didn't like him at 150. doesn't mean you shouldn't like him at 200 and doesn't mean you should let him go undrafted entirely just because yeah. everybody else is down on him. Like that's the kind of hive mind thought that could be dangerous as opposed to the hive mind thought that actually does matter. And it could be valuable and actually win people money. It's, I mean, we see it every year where the, the, the hive <clears throat> at a super macro level, the market is generally directionally accurate on a lot on a lot of these things, right? But at a super micro level, we're wrong on almost everything. Mm-hmm. Like, right, like it's truly wrong. I mean, 
Cooper Cup was so far and away the wide receiver one, the best asset in fantasy. And and uh, to start to start, I just knocked a, I just knocked a Your water bottle. Can't believe um, it. I talk with my, I talk with my hands so much, and I don't normally keep a water bottle over here. And I just sm- smacked it right off my desk. Almost hit my dog too. So that would have been bad. But we're very bad at like truly assessing these guys. And then you get an ambiguous situation, like the dog. I mean. Name me a more ambiguous situation than the Dolphins' backfield, <laughs> dude. I I know Chase Edmonds is going to make the team and probably play X amount. Uh, I don't even know how much I would project. I really don't know. Raheem Mostert could get cut for all we know. Sony Michelle could get cut, or they could be the lead back playing seventy five percent of the snaps. I don't have the slightest idea. But again, Raheem Mostert now all of a sudden is sometimes going undrafted and going in the eighteenth round. And just a few weeks ago, that was not how we were were treating it, and so. Um, those are just awesome examples of, of things right there, whether or not we just discussed the right players in that thing is irrelevant, but those are the situations that, um, I think you can be really thoughtful about and profit from the most. Yeah, no, I fully agree. The ambiguity, I think Leone had some data about it too for ETR as well. Just talking about the ambiguous backfields and how there is often one that breaks out and ends up being a bigger value at ADP. You know, like I think that's ultimately just taking some stabs and, and it is an important part. Like, you know, when you watch these shows, I think we start to talk about these guys and then they bubble up and then, you know, people who do shows and hear other people talking about it and then will sometimes, you know, kind of extol the virtues in the same way. But ultimately, like a lot of that comes from real signal and, and real noise, you know, instead of just noise. And I think that's something that could be important because, um, you know, the Twitter threads, like again, not to just really harp on the Twitter that thing, but that's a lot of just statistical noise that doesn't go to you know what's going to actually be profitable for best ball, which comes down to structure, which comes down to value based drafting, which comes down to going in you know with that real strategy that is going to hopefully lead you to a different construction with also the same upside as everybody else. A hundred percent. This is actually a really good comment from uh, Smooth Jimmy Apollo, mm-hmm. sweet sweet name. That uh, comp being comfortable. Learning to become comfortable being uncomfortable is something that I think um, was an advantage maybe that I had coming over into this space, coming from DFS. People probably feel the same if they came from poker, if sports betting. If you come from like a sports speculation and really a gambling space, like and you've played it very seriously, like you've outlined that, that you have, you probably like, right, fading some 75% owned player and you're putting your hard-earned dollars behind it. Yeah, you go into an NFL Sunday, and it's like, well, Dalvin's out. Alexander Madison is 75% owned, but I'm going to play Cousins Jefferson stacks instead and like hope that Madison sucks, and then I just crush everybody. It's a very uncomfortable feeling because you're like, I don't know, this guy seems like a free square, but I'm trying to win a million dollars. I mean, do, there are some very sharp DFS you, players I've known. Do you have this? Like, do you have this feeling? This uncomfortable being uncomfortable uh, thing that uh, yeah, no, Jim's I mean, I think about. that's a big part of it. And I, I'll you know, just give like a kind of anecdote of this one. There's a very sharp DFS player who I won't out as this being part of their strategy, but who would go on Osmo and like told me like, what I'll do is I'll take the ownership projections and just remove the top two players from my fantasy cruncher pool when I'm optimizing lineups, and that's just what their approach was night after night. And this is somebody who had a good amount of success doing that as well. And I think that's something that always stuck with me is like, yeah, like I think you can still get different enough without losing those top owned plays sometimes but if it's a really flimsy one like uh, there was an example a couple of years ago like 
Kelly Oubre before he was actually good was starting for the Wizards <laughs> one game. But like when he played with the starters, he just wasn't as good as he was when he played off the bench because there's less usage to go around all the things that you would expect if you follow NBA and know how that data works. But basically, you know, if guys are competing for shots, they're going to be less effective. And that's just how that goes. Everybody played Kelly Oubre, even though it's like this is a materially different situation. And if you just didn't play Kelly Oubre that night, you might have literally won six figures just because you didn't play him. That's the kind of thought that people just don't feel comfortable with. But the more you can get there and still, you know, I think have your cake and eat it too, where play the guys you still believe in. Like they could be a you know, 70% play that only has a 70% chance of succeeding. But you can go 100 because you know the field's not going to have the nuts yeah. to go 100. Like that's still something that has value, but it is still kind of juggling that. And, and the push-pull mechanisms at all, I think are all really the hardest part that like, I don't think you could do that within the first year of DFS unless you have a poker background or something like that because you have to build up that callus for yourself of just being seeing it time and time again going, why didn't I do that when this person won so much money just by doing this one thing? A hundred percent. So piggybacking on your your example, something uh, somebody told me, specific, it really only applies to, to uh, MLB DFS, but something I know, uh, of again, a very sharp uh, MLB DFS player, this is years ago i don't think he does this really anymore but like wanted to run an experiment essentially and was playing in like what would be uh maybe like if they had like a 555 dollar contest on draftings you know so 300 to a thousand people or something like that not not the thunderdome small but not super big and all he did was stack against the chalk pitcher i knew that was where you're going with it that's slate (laughs) after slate after sl- every day it was yeah. the same it was so like obviously then he's not playing the chalk pitcher but he's just whoever the the highest projected points guys are after the chalk pitcher the stack against that chalk pitcher and then the highest projected hitters basically after that that guy and it was like crushed <laughs> and it was like it, it was only a few months or whatever but like was just an insanely profitable summer literally just doing that and so you want to talk about being uncomfortable that like, you're like, well, I'm going to try this experiment and I'm going to play the worst place. <laughs> I'm going to play the worst plays every, every single night and see, see how this goes. But, um, you can take a lot of lessons from those little, like the, the your Kelly Uber example. And like, the, not specifically that you can't apply it apples to apples in, in best ball, but in terms of being uncomfortable, the zero RB thing or, Fading that right when when ship chasing is talking about Visca every single week and they have clips and are memeing him into oblivion, and you're like, I don't know, I, that that guy doesn't seem like a seventh round pick to me. Like, you don't have to take him. You know, you don't have to take that guy. So you mean this year's Visca Sky more is what we're yeah. talking about? Uh, there? Yeah, it's yeah. funny you say that because the market has a largely pushed back. Right, he got memed into oh. the seventh eighth round. And the market finally started to pull back already on Sky Moore, where everybody was like, ah, this really feels like less. like we're, we're, you know, because of one small subset of the community likes him, we're pushing him up too far. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I get it. Sky Moore, I think, has some positive things you could point to data-wise from his college numbers and all that. But like at the end of the day, like MVS was right there, and I think a bigger-bodied guy. And, and again, I'm buying a little too much probably into the athletic report about him consulting with Devontae Adams and like picking his brain about, hey, what should I be doing here? And Adams is like yeah. fine, and and it's yeah, whatever. But ultimately, like I want tall guys who are fast. And I think that, you know Marquez all the scaling is that where Sky Moore is <laughs> is little and a good route runner, and I think grades out to me as a low A dot guy. But that's a bet that I you know I'm kind of willing to take. And it's also, I'm willing to take Sky Moore now. If he goes in the 110s, like I'll take Sky Moore because people were getting him at 75. And that's 
you know, it's a player take that I don't agree with, but it's one that now makes sense data wise and just what you're seeing in terms of ADP. So that's where, you know, being egoless about it, trying to adapt to the market and take advantage of it's like getting a bet that's like a plus 100 and somewhere else it's minus 500. Like, yeah, take the plus 100 bet when it's going to be in front of you. <laughs> Right. This is a really good quote uh, by FF Doom. Uh, some players get steamed and others get others get memed. There's levels. There's levels to steam, and the top level, the boss level of steam is uh, is 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 memeing. So, last you know, ten or ten or fifteen minutes. Tony Tony's question. We're gonna get into some non. We've talked a lot about fantasy football and where you came from, and some fantasy basketball and and all and all that kind of stuff. DFS and how how it relates. We got to get into. So you you have how how old is uh luca correct mm -hmm. yeah luca, luca is uh, now uh three and a half months old and a uh, very wow. cute unfortunately percentile wise it apparently doesn't matter but he's like 18th percentile height and weight right now um because what are you height constantly... and weight percentile wise uh like uh i don't even know how tall you are so i'm is six this... one um and when oh, i was a okay. kid i was like i was 99th percentile height and weight until like 11 or 12. So like when it didn't matter, I was like crushing it. I was, well, I don't know. I wasn't like fat noticeably, but for whatever reason, I would just grade out really highly according to percentiles. So Luca's not currently doing that, which sucks. I want to be an NBA player, but I'm hoping this growth spurt's going to come, but it is just uh yeah, Matt saying it right there. It is a terrible time. I think teething is around the, the bend. He's um, also like learned how to scream this week, not even crying, just like fun screaming. So like this morning I was just like dealing with him because I'm on technically on paternity leave, even though I have to work through it. And Alex, is going back to work and you know fully in like meeting mode having to do decks and all of that and lucas just berating me like just going like ah! and i'm like what like what do you want you've been fed like you know there's nothing wrong with the diaper we're all good and that's the kind of thing like the variability of it uh you can embrace it in dfs when you're raising a child embracing that variance <laughs> is not quite as fun <laughs> a little bit different uh how you com being comfortable being uncomfortable is a very different uh we apply that very differently to a three and a half month old child than we do to to our best ball drafts yes i value my sanity very much and i have to say my sanity is being scraped at day in day out but it's you know it's nice like honestly i think that's one thing that you know is nice and eric i thought you were dad too just because you put across dad vibes like youthful dad vibes who you know like you know, like take the kids to church like they, you know that yeah. kind of thing but like, I, like a lot a dad. Of dad yeah, I, I see it yeah yeah I a lot it. of youthful dads in this space and and i think you know i see support all the childless people too there's certainly a world where we just never had one and i think we'd have a perfectly lovely time traveling more and spending even more money on best ball if that's possible uh, but i think right now it's it's one of those things where the dads out there who are suffering through it in the same window uh, all of us lucky enough to have thought yeah let's let's pop one in the oven during covid <laughs> like i think that's the move um yeah i i appreciate all of them and i hope we're all surviving doing our 45 minute drafts while feeding a child and going oh god do something <laughs> right exactly uh uh, this is probably uh, taking it too far. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little surprised there weren't more COVID babies in our space. I'm, I'm surprised it didn't happen to me. Um, COVID babies in our, in our space. I mean, be, when I don't think like I, I'm, everybody obviously went through the pandemic. You're, 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 you're here and stuff. But like working in this, it was the most awkward time of my life working in sports during that pandemic like in the blink of an eye i went from like ironically you talked about like i've had a couple of dfs scores one of i think it was the second or third biggest dfs score i've ever had was the night the nba like basically that sports oh. shut down rudy gobert you know rudy gobert comes up and does this on the, on the mic and the nba shuts down well so that night i won like all the high stakes tournaments they had a a, a huge one and um i also only won it 
because they canceled the last two games. So I was in first going into those last two games. I did the math, right? I think I would have been like fifth or sixth if uh, it was a Boban night. Also, it was a Boban night, which is always fun to win with Boban. And and then like that. But then like the next day is March Madness and March Madness shuts down and all of sports just instantly shut down. And I'm like, uh, do I have a job? Like, do I have a job? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. How was that for you? How was that like whole experience for you? Uh, it was honestly tough. Like at Osmo, we were, uh, they basically cut all, I mean, I, I don't think they'll matter at this point, but they cut all of our salaries right away. We're just like, oh, we're not going to have enough money to like keep this going at this rate. Then we started doing the simulations where um, our guys, Josh and, and I remember in I was watching. Re- yep. They were doing NBA like really early on. And apparently DraftKings was working on this in the background anyway, but we ended up beating them to market, did that with FanDuel where they were doing NBA 2K streams. I ended up doing the Madden streams where I was producing that and had like a lot of fun just doing that. And where we'd simulate the games, run them live on the screen, and then also have DFS concerts go along with it. But it was weird because it was like, it felt like you were the only thing going at that point in time. And then obviously DraftKings started doing all their streams. FanDuel uh, took it over and did their own version of it with uh, JJ and uh, somebody else on there who wasn't that good, honestly. Uh, uh, but either mm-hmm. way, like they, you know, they were pushing it through. But it's like I wish that that had been like a career change for me, where it's like it'd be would have been fun if we all just made careers out of like doing simulated games and announcing <laughs> them and pour, pouring champagne on myself just to try to get through a three hour stream of like three games in a row. Uh, but it was a weird time, man. It's one of those things that like you'll we'll talk to kids about it or just you know even people who are like five right now who at some point will be in your life. I don't know why a five year old will be in your life at some point, but that's up to you and your choices out there. Um, but like. I don't know how you explained this because it was just absolute madness. We had to well, thought we had to wash our groceries. Like it's yeah. there was a lot of changes at once that made no sense. It really was. And and like obviously everybody went through it was a crazy few years that that we had. But like working in working in this space, there was some there was something about it where like, I mean, I I'm blessed. We're blessed to be able to do this. I mean, it's fucking Wednesday afternoon, you know, not even not even dinner time yet. And we're just shooting the shit, talking about fantasy sports and stuff. But it was like going from like it, it was one of the greatest nights of my fantasy sports career to the next morning. Like, uh, you know, is this over? <laughs> is this like, do I need to withdraw all this money and like put it in the bank or like what, you know, what the hell, what the hell do we need? Do we need to do here? Um, for you in that particular scenario where i know like when i had my big wins it was like playoff time so it's like oh crap these multi-game slates are gonna go away and i'm running yeah. really hot right now like i i tied for uh like a three-way tie for 57k and then i had two other ties like in showdowns for like 10k a pop so like it all added up really fast i'm like am i ever gonna be this good again as the season's <laughs> yeah. ending and i can tell you from this season the answer or the following season, the answer is no <laughs> it's yeah. not, not quite gonna run that good ever again right um so t- Two two other things I want to hit. They they, they they some little bit of of dad questions. What what is uh, they're asking you about? Like so, are you like getting up, feeding the baby, drafting a best ball team? Like what how 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 is this whole process working with watching the kid and still like getting your best ball drafts? And does he have to be down for a nap when you go on stream? How is this like? How what are the logistics of this process? So Alex had maternity leave for three months, which was helpful because I had to punt my paternity leave to try to keep things running at the the job I'm at, um, Football Outsiders Parent Company. And, you know, and that was like fine initially. And then it started to be like, it's tough to have a child, even if your partner's doing all the work and push through that. Um, but there was a period then where we had to feel it out. And I think it's probably the same for a lot of parents out there where you just figure out what works for you and then try to double down on that. But there's a lot of trial and error along the way. So I was working and then doing the overnight shifts and, you know, whenever Luca wakes mm. up and that was absolute misery 
misery because I just had nothing then to do eight hours of work. And then when I would finish the eight hours of work, Alex has been taking care of the baby the entire day. So she needs a breather then. It's like, cool. Right. I go from baby to work to baby. And it feels like some sort of like, you know, like Desmond and Lost kind of scenario that you're stuck in a hatch and losing your sanity. Um, so that part's tough. But feeding times with babies, like it's something that I don't think we do a good enough job telling people what's going to come with the babies, both the women and how awful it is for every part of that. But also like babies eat so slow and they like, and if they eat fast and they spit up and throw up even more. So it's like 45 <laughs> minutes. It ends up timing pretty well that I'll, if he's not being too fussy, like I'll just hold them over here and feed him. And then I'll do like an underdog draft and it'll mostly line up. Okay. Some auto draft picks have not been the best at the time, the time when the baby doesn't cooperate um, better when they do it in the puppy than in the best ball mania. But I would say, um it does pair well i think with best ball because like even video games i can't play video games now because it's like he needs attention whereas best ball if you have 20 picks in between you you have more than enough time to kind of take care of what has to be taken care of yeah that is that is so funny and um <clears throat> i i hate when people like compare their their dogs and stuff to 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 kids and that's obviously all, all that i have um as a frame as a frame of reference but i try to get out get my exercise and get them and get them some exercise. And so it's, it's, it's ironically nowhere near the same thing as, as like feeding a child, but I always run into, so we live in a fairly busy neighborhood. There's a lot of other people with dog. It feels like every other fucking house has a dog in this, in this neighborhood. Cause we just run into, to, and we live next to a military base, um, Scott air force base here around St. Louis. And, so ton, there's like tons of movement, like constantly people moving in and out because they're, you know, they're getting as um, uh, shipped out or whatever. And like literally my dogs are the friendliest, nicest dogs ever, but they think every other dog is like supposed to be their best friend. <laughs> and so like th they're pretty good on walks and everything, but I'll be walking them trying to do a draft. Right. And then a dog, another dog comes around the corner and it's like, let's go. Like, we got to go see that dude. <laughs> you know, going crazy. And same thing. I'm like, it's probably like you like, Oh, baby spits up on me. And Oh shit. I only got like 15 seconds. I got to You know, I got to do this. So like, so that's like it, uh, every time somebody's like, I'm surprised you took that guy. I'm like, yeah, you know, dog, a dog was taking a shit or dog was doing this or whatever. Same thing. You're like, well, baby spit up on me. That's why I actually took Derek Henry. You know, and I love underdog great product, but sometimes the notification doesn't come through either. And you're like, yeah, oh, right. shit. like now <laughs> I completely lost this one, but I, I'm not one of those parents that would gatekeep parenting like that. Cause I've also had dogs. Like for me, I got my dogs in my twenties and it was like very important to me to kind of get my life stabilized and like, you know, have the responsibility and something that kind of makes you wake up on time and not, you know, go out till four and then sleep till one kind yeah. of thing in New York city. But I think that's something that like, if you've, especially if you had a dog as a puppy where you have to wake up every three hours just to let him out yeah. to get him house trained, like you have dealt with what it's like to have a baby. It's just that, you know, you can't, you can't ruin them and make them a non-productive member of society. Quite as right. Much. That's the right. Exactly. And then once they get, once they get too smart for their own good, like a child, like your child is already doing with the screaming and stuff like that. Eventually the child can speak, which is both good and both good and bad. The dog is just going to annoy you and you're not going to have any idea what's going, what's going through, through the dog said, I appreciate you guys in the chat that are also discussing the, uh, I, I need, I need a team dog walk and draft. We're going to, we went from underdog cardio club <clears throat> on Twitter to, we're going to have to go with the underdog dog walk club or something I mean, like that, that seems uh, like natural branding anyway i i think that they were a little too myopic with that approach and i say that as somebody that you know like i love the partnerships we have another dog i'm hoping that i can do more with them personally you know that i'm trying to kind of expand out a little more horizontally with stuff and um they need to do weightlifting they need to do dog walks like just do it all you can't just be cardio like the fact that we're it's probably pete's fault honestly for 100 <laughs> that, that cardio it's, narc pete 
Pete and Rudman. I mean, the two cardio bros. I mean, look at Rudman. Rudman would beat the shit out of every single person in in best ball, and we know ball. Wait, but uh, did I lose audio? Yeah. Hopefully Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good now. Yeah. No, Rudman's also Jack. Like, Rudman looks like a pro wrestler. Like he's clearly a weight guy. I don't know why we couldn't get bench press as part of this or like, oh, take your Apple watch time or something. But no, I'm just being discriminated against as I try to get my lifts in and <laughs> keep the fairest resemblance of a body going through fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as we as we start to wrap up, um, one thing I didn't get to hit on that I'm personally curious about you mentioned like mba uh multiple times you know you want you want i mean your child's name is luca for christ's sake you want luca to play in the nba you talked about you know being more into nba dfs was that kind of like your first fantasy love nba dfs or um was it always football or can you just talk a little bit about that I definitely love football for you. Know, like that was the first league I ever played. I think was a fantasy football league in high school or, or maybe even middle school. Um, so that's always going to be the one, but like, I love NBA a lot. Unfortunately for my career, it hasn't lined up as well with NBA seasons where I started the job with football outsiders, parent company at the start of football season. And then they thought there was to be budget to get NBA going. And we were like making plans towards doing that. And that didn't work out. Um, I think this year I'm going to be able to get into it more because of some of the stuff with underdog that, like, I think they need to push NBA, push NBA best ball more. And I would like yep. to be part of that wave if that's a thing that's happening. Um, but I love the NBA. Like the NBA to me is the most fun sport to watch, especially if you're on the West Coast. Like it times out beautifully where mm. you can watch the games. You're done by 8 p.m. You have enough time to hang out with your significant other, go to dinner, whatever you need to do. Um, so I love it. But like to me, it's like basketball and football are pretty even. And then I had to do a lot of baseball content in Osmo and like, I'm good <laughs> at it. I, I hate, like I hate baseball analysis because it's like, it's so variable and it's an event based game. And like you were talking about earlier with the high stakes guy, it's like, yeah, that pitcher got blown up and everything I said now doesn't matter because that wasn't <laughs> supposed to happen. And that's kind of the nature of MLB. And the fact too, that people on optimizer and MLB are so incredibly sharp. Like that has been figured out yeah. 10 times over in a way where it's like, I just don't, I don't get the same joy as I do out of NFL or NBA. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm the same way. I love the I do love the like game element, strategy element of like making lineups for baseball. I think it's fun like figuring out <clears throat> because you have to um it's it's a little bit similar to best ball, not in like a how it plays out, but like you have to figure out like how owned should that like the the chalk isn't an auto fade. The chalk is if the chalk you mentioned, like, oh, if this guy's seventy percent, but I think he should be ninety-eight percent, it's like, well, then he's still a good. It, it's still a good play. He's under-owned or over-owned. Figuring out all those elements, it's like the same thing. As people be like, you know, Gabriel Davis seems to be uh, Gabe Davis and Javante. It's always young guys that haven't that like you can't project right for for awesome uh, volume or whatever. People are like, how could you draft Gabriel Davis? You know, whatever overall, and it's like, well, we have to weigh these different factors, right? Like. He's on the fucking bills. He's pretty good. He flashed a monster ceiling. So it's not just what you're projecting him for or what he's done before. And it's kind of the same thing with, with baseball where it's like there's this strategy element of I can't just like do my projections. And, and even if I like fade the chalk, it's like I can't just do this cookie cutter process. I got to balance all these different variables. And I do love that element of it. Um, yeah, I get and it. So, like 
Yeah, Nick in the chat's one of my my pals on Twitter who I enjoy the work of. I know I think he does some stuff over at FTN, and it's like, yeah, like I get you guys love baseball so much. For me, my experience with baseball is like I nailed every possible take when doing two hours of content in a given day. <laughs> then I made my lineups, and I missed that. Oh, the six hitter is the one who hit the grand slam, not the uh, five yeah. hitter, the seven hole guy. And it's like at that point, I just th would throw my hands up, and it was just never for me. But like I get that people are really smart winning at it. So if you invest the time, I'm sure it pays off. For me, it just did not. Yeah. Uh, uh, shout out to Matt here in the in the chat that NBA best ball is the future spags. We will definitely be reconnecting when they drop uh, some NBA best ball contests because I got super into it this year, uh, both for the regular season and for the playoffs. And I'm hoping that they drop some bigger content. I mean, it's 50K to first for their main um, best ball tournament on underdog this year. I, I, I think it's I think the product's going to be a, a huge actual like growth engine now. Like they've got wob on and, and a lot of like really you know, obviously justin and the old labs team and stuff are over there so i i think the product will grow but uh i i'm actually on the same board with you i tell people i mean shit there's a there's no football jerseys on my wall there's a basketball jersey on my wall um basketball's yeah. kind of always been my love too so uh you know football pays the bills but i'm uh, uh i'm a basketball fan i think at my heart yeah, I don't know what the basketball zero RB is. Like, I don't know structural yeah. drafting. I know the mistakes I made last year was like, I loved Dejounte Murray. I should have taken Dejounte Murray and Derek White, even though I had an out of Derek White getting traded to the Celtics. Like that kind of thing I was doing, and it's like I see it now when I was doing my NFL drafts. And I'm curious to learn more about NBA, and you know, hopefully some of the smart data people uh, bring their expertise there that I can siphon away and steal uh, for my own knowledge, like Mega Man, if I can. Uh, but I think that's something that I'm curious to see what that evolution is. And if nothing else, I'll, I'm sure we'll both have fun drafting some NBA best ball teams on streams and is trying to get people to come along and make that jump from nfl definitely definitely and i think we will get uh we will get more uh consigliere no i'm a darius miles fan not a clippers fan uh, and are there are there actually clippers fans like is that a thing people root for the clippers the former mouth <laughs> in the middle yeah but i think Billy <laughs> crystal too maybe so they have like esoteric white hollywood entertainers or clippers yeah, fans and, yeah right, you can the, be a fan now I, like i think it, they've been good for a few years like that's true. how it happens one title and then there's fans 10 years away they just now they went from the shittiest but most exciting team when uh, when when my guy was on that you know they were winning twenty games but they were really really fun to watch and now they're really good but they like they went from Chris Paul to to Kawhi Leonard it's like can we pick more boring superstars to be on the on the the the, the Lakers had you know Kobe and Shaq and then they get LeBron and the Clippers got Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard like you're not selling a lot of uh tickets to those, the Blake uh, run though was pretty fun the Blake and DeAndre Chris Paul throwing alley-oops like they had Lob a minute City, yeah. but I I agree like I have a certain re like reverence for the Darius Miles Q Rich teams or Corey Maggette too like these mm -hmm. guys were just playing like they were just hoopers like they were just guys who were playing ball and like also had a real vibe to them like a kind of ass kicker vibe that I liked that didn't pay off oh, yeah. in wins in any way or, or career longevity or really any of the positive metrics you would look at for, <laughs> for success besides a jersey on your wall, Eric. But right. uh, that's probably what they were playing for anyway. They just wanted to be on your wall and then have none of the other success. That I'm, probably, I'm probably the only person that went to the NBA store and bought the, you know, the Mitchell and Ness Darius Miles jersey. I can't, it's there. If anybody wants one, maybe I'll get a Mitchell and Ness promo code for people to go get a Darius Miles jersey. I'm, I gotta be the only person that bought one of those. So as we as we wrap up what i what i kind of wanted to ask was like over the course of these next few months what are you like thinking about from a best ball perspective is there anything 
like over this summer already that you've kind of learned that you want to you want to put into practice or just just kind of a general theme of where like your head is at really for you know because we still have what two and a half months or whatever of of drafting three months of 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 drafting how are you feeling what's going on um for these next few months for you well, the main thing for me is making sure that I max out best ball mania and like follow through enough to get through because like I was hammering the puppy hard. I think I got 110 entries in the puppy and it just wasn't enough. Like I wanted to max it out and I just get the chance to do it. So I want to make sure that, you know, I'm applying the DFS principles that we know where like you're at a disadvantage if you don't max out some of these tournaments. So to make sure like I'll get to best ball mania, I think I have 90 entries in that right now. So like that should be okay. Wow. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so like keep the same structure, but be more malleable with the ADPs, be more malleable with the news items that come. And I think that's sort of my goal is like if I keep the same principles from day one, but just use news cycles and information and ADPs as a driving force behind those structures, I'm hoping it'll give me different enough looks, different enough constructions. And I've kind of seen it already. Like there was a period where I had a ton of Josh Palmer. I still love Josh Palmer, but his ADP got a little too high. He didn't line up with where I was drafting enough. So I have now a lot less of him. And I think that's what I'm hoping is like, as long as I keep drafting where I'm supposed to and drafting like I'm supposed to, I'll have you know 10 to 20 percent of a lot of guys and i think that's what i feel really good about is like you know having enough of taste of all these dudes and not going 70 percent. i know a lot of sharp players who have won a lot of best ball money do that i don't think that's the way that's plus ev for how i'm doing things so yeah 10 percent of every player is the goal <laughs> i also think when it's different because if if you're strat it's, it's again we talked about like going in with a strategy if you're going in and you're saying like Liam's the bills are my edge and that, that can't, it, it's true. Everybody has different things that they analyze as their edge and their strategy. If you're going in with the zero RB structural take, this is the thing that I'm going to win with then. Yeah. Like find the 25 running backs that fit from with the seventh round to the 18th round and just start. Right. I, I want to equal out all my exposure with all those guys and try to get all the combos of all the players that fit into my structure. You know, now Derrick Henry doesn't fit into that structure, so you're not going to get, you know, 10% of Derrick Henry, but you're going to get 10% of everybody that fits into that structure. And I think that is a way that you can win, right? Some people will do a little bit hybrid of both or whatever, which is a little bit more where I fall into, not 70%. I take I take pretty strong stands. I actually don't know how you physically get seventy percent of of one player. I'm I'm well, that's crazy. Like, yeah, Pecan Pecan's in the chat, and I think he's got seventy percent of like various players. I think was where that idea came from on my Friday stream. Somebody popped in and mentioned that, and I was like, I like he's smart. He's won more money than I've won in best ball. So like, I'm certainly going to default to like, you know, something there, but I just think it's what we talked about earlier. It's like, we are bad at projecting players. We, unless you have some secret sauce that nobody else in the world has, and maybe you do. And I, I could be completely wrong then. Um, I just think being flat, being more caring more about the structure, caring more about uh, the ADPs I'm hoping is what leads me to the pay window. But if not, you know, it's all variants and it didn't work out just because I, I ran bad. Yeah, exactly. Because that's that's I, I got that queued up ready. I think I have <laughs> tweets. I think I have tweets and drafts ready for uh, when when all my top guys get hurt. Final question, actually, if you if anyone missed this, we did do what we called um, the best ball Royal Rumble this past Friday. Spags was uh, kind enough to grace us with his presence and was is uh, Spags and uh, and Daigle definitely stole the show with uh, with the, the wrestling theme that we obviously went with. It was really just a best ball draft, but a best ball draft of a bunch of friends and people from around the industry where we're competing for a literal actual title belt and uh, and a little bit of bragging rights, of course. Um, 
how do you feel about how, how do you feel about your team in that? How are you? Uh, uh, did you even? I, I didn't go through all the teams. I also drank a little too much. Did you? Uh, did you draft a zero RB team in that oh, uh, I contest? I think I went eight or nine rounds with no running backs, and then I like. Oh yeah. And then the room we went insane, where there was a queue of like thirty running backs, so you just yeah. kind of had to start hammering them. But it works I for get, you though if you drafted a zero RB team, that works. I hope, but I feel like I didn't even get the cream of the crop at receiver either. Like it ended up being a weird team that I like, I normally wouldn't like that much. It's obviously only a 12 man league. So there's probably more of like a, you know, a, a redraft league approach you can get away with to win that one, I would think. But I still, you know, like I had to go zero RB. I had to take Drew Locke for the bit as well. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up taking D Eskridge, even though like, I don't know, like Eskridge might not make the team and it went to take Bo Melton maybe <laughs> instead of him. Um, but that's, you know, that's the kind of fun you have to have. You have to juggle the line of, of plus EV and content. I think I'm, I have a shot to win just because I did spam receiver and tight end so heavy that that could be the variance that gets me there. But I think my running backs are bad, even by my standard. My quarterbacks, too. Like, I got scooped on QB, no stacks. Like, it wasn't the pure room that I normally like to run where, where you set it up and you feel like Kaiser Sose, like, oh, I set up all these correlations yep. and stacks. People didn't even see them coming. It was the exact opposite <laughs> in that draft. Yeah, that was it was a it was a tough draft. I too drafted a, a zero running back team and hate absolutely hate my running backs and the, the theme of being comfortable being uncomfortable. I am as comfortable being uncomfortable with my running backs as you can get and I really don't feel very comfortable with uh, the the running backs that that I drafted. Um before we get out of here, anything you got uh, what's uh, what's on tap in the 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 coming weeks uh, on paternity leave, but what's uh, what's in the content plans? What's what you got going on? Yeah, so Splash Play, the show I do with Pete Overs at Mondays and Thursdays at 2.30. You can find that on Peach Channel or on the Splash Play channel. And the Splash Play YouTube channel is the one that I would ask people to subscribe to because every Friday I do a solo stream on there. I really push the limits of what solo streaming can be in the best fall space, right? I did three hours one uh, one day. I'm, I might do 24 hours straight just to be an attention <laughs> whore and see what happens. Um, I know you guys have planned that as well, so maybe we can collaborate on it. But either way, yeah. um, I just want to get weird with the studio spaces and have fun. I have some drinks on Fridays and do that. But uh, the show with Pete, obviously is going to be the main event because we put we put a lot of effort in the splash play like we do we do silly gimmicks we do characters like the hope is to keep it rolling you know into the nfl dfs season because that's obviously where a lot of our love is as well but um, i would say check out splash play and, and show it some love if you can because uh, it'd, be, it'd be nice if we could make that a full-time thing but you know one, <laughs> one day somebody will either pay us enough to license it at some point or we'll just keep failing upwards on cbs podcasts and such till <laughs> until it could be a yeah thing. Yeah, fail upwards. It's it's not really failing if you're if you're failing upwards. I agree. Make sure you go subscribe to Splash Blade, not Pete's channel. No offense. Make sure you subscribe. He's got enough. To, what does he need? Yeah, he's, he's going he's, underdog. They're rolling out the red carpet. Yeah. Him events. What the grinder here every Friday afternoon, <laughs> bringing up some margs, doing drafts, losing <laughs> EV to people who know exactly the moves I'm gonna make. Like that's you know right. that's the fun of it all exactly make sure you go subscribe to that i will be back tomorrow we're going to be talking about uh thursdays for those of you who are new to the channel is like a strategy session and we're going to be talking about how to kind of actually some of the things we talked about here managing your exposures and managing your portfolio um kind of you know should you have 70 percent of gabe davis or tony's in the chat talking about 95 percent nico collins figuring out how to do that from within your strategy. We've luckily built some tools that hopefully can help you, but that's what we'll be talking about tomorrow. And Friday, uh, Davis Maddock, we, we had to reschedule from last Friday, but we're going to be doing a draft stream on Friday with Davis Maddock. So that's what we got here uh, on Spike Week. Spags, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for, for joining me today. I'm actually headed at, we're going to the zoo. It's adults only night at the zoo. 
It's adults only night at the zoo. So uh, we're going to have some some drinks and go, you know, uh, go with the orangutans and the, the chimps. Don't let the dog get too friendly with the orangutans. I feel I like that, you can't have that. Out. Don't try to draft a team while doing it, Eric. That's what yeah, I, I will not be. I'm uh, no drafts. No drafts tonight. We're just going to we're just going to have some fun at the zoo. But uh, for myself and for Spags and of course, for for the dogs and for Luca, we will see you guys next time.